every single Saturday on these airwaves. My name's Casey Steve, the voice of your valley on Merced's News Talk, 107.3 FM, 1480 AM, KYOS, KO70. Welcome on a Saturday morning. That's for you, Marilyn. Every single Saturday, we try to come to you with some new comment, talking about things that are going on in the community. Of course, we're fresh off of a uh, three-day weekend. Got to get set up here for the next the next out. Anyway, uh, three-day weekend, Labor Day. Last, uh, what was it, Monday, I guess. Being celebrated. Of course, we had, uh, had a horrible incident here locally. It was very similar to an incident that happened the end of last year in Newman. We'll talk about that. There was also a city council meeting, Merced City Council meeting on Tuesday because of the holiday. So that was uh, interesting. Talked about the charter. Uh, as you know, there's been a committee that was convened. They presented their report. Shane Smith, chair of the committee, presented his report to the council. There was a lot of back and forth about what they're going to do. We'll talk a little bit about that. Um, this weekend, it's supposed to get cooler. The weather, oh my word, been unseasonably hot, about 10 degrees over normal. But um, going to get down into the 80s. Hopefully a little bit cooler for folks to get out there, get those uh, fall chores done before the leaves start falling. As you know, they're harvesting the nuts like crazy. A lot of uh, things in the air, I'll tell you. It's, uh, I feel a little stuffed up myself, but I'm sure as the morning goes on, we'll get a little bit better. It's very, very early. I appreciate all my listeners to the 6 a.m. hour. As you know, 7 a.m., Roger Wood, Community Conversation. Six great episodes, Raj. Actually, this week, it's Steve Newvine, Roger. Unexpectedly gone. But uh, he'll be back in a couple of weeks, I hope. And Steve Newvine filled in for him. Six great se- segments, 7 to 8 o'clock. 8 to 9.30 is me. We have news at the top of the hour between 8 and 9, 9 o'clock hour. And then 9.30 to 10 is Real Living Today with Dr. Bob. You don't want to miss that. I always get him confused with Pastor Jeff over at Yosemite Church. Uh, they both have little spots on the show. I was talking to Pastor Jeff about another issue a couple of weeks ago, and he was probably thinking I, I thought I was talking to Father Bob, which I kind of thought I was. <laughs> so anyway, I apologize for that. But they're both uh, great additions to the KYOS family. And again, all of these uh, episodes of Citizen Watch, you can go online to our website, 1480kyos.com. Click on the Citizen Watch banner, and all of the shows are there by date, little description. Somewhat of a summary, as you know, we kind of jump around, talk about different things. So, uh, you know, you you might want to listen to the whole thing, but we try to hit the, the high points, the high spots in the summary, and you can just listen to that at your leisure. You don't need any uh, special app. I don't believe. Now, maybe on your mobile device or something like that, but just listening to it on your computer, I know I can pull it up. So anyway, if I, if I can do it. But we are on uh, several different platforms. I know uh, people would understand that, depending on what platform you use. So we're really happy that management did that for us. Can't thank uh, Jason, my program director, operations manager enough, of course, Damian. The uh, head cheese here, he's, uh, he's really supportive of, of everything we do. And again, I thank him so much that we can bring you these shows. Like I say, a lot went on uh, this week in the community, in the nation, in California. I noticed last weekend with uh, it being, you know, the holiday, a lot of folks, it was kind of the last time to get out of town. It used to be that September, uh, Labor Day, First weekend in September was always uh, kind of the end of summer. Kids had to go back to school. And uh, it was nice because it was a short week, kind of ease you into it. And now school starts so much earlier, as we know, you see Merced. And they had that picture of everybody walking through the uh, sculpture there and forming a big heart with the state of California kind of left out in the middle. I thought that was neat. But, you know, a couple of weeks before the holiday, so it's, it's I don't know, it's kind of cool, I guess, to have a holiday after you've only been in school a couple of weeks. 
a lot of people went over to the coast and uh, saw some great Facebook pictures. Very jealous. I love the coast. Had a opportunity to stay in Aptus for a while, and it is it is beautiful. Santa Cruz was there uh, looking at at some different things uh, about a year and a half ago, and I was surprised in in the actual city of Santa Cruz. You know, right down by uh, the county buildings there, how uh, how many homeless there were. And I uh, teased some friends when I got back. It reminded me of Merced with an ocean. And, uh, you know, having spent some time there and reading the, uh, I don't know, was Santa Cruz Sentinel or whatever the local paper is there, pretty good coverage of issues going on in the area. And it's a very, uh, you know, progressive area, uh, very close to the Silicon Valley, commuter area. It's uh, still, still, believe it or not, somewhat affordable compared to some places along the coast, especially when you get up into San Jose and further north, further uh, east a little. Anyway, the point being is they have a tremendous homeless population there, and the community has been very sympathetic to that over the years. And they had a park that the homeless had literally just taken over. Uh, Tent City, I don't know how many people were there, but it was a public park. County Park, I believe, and uh, you know, just got to the point where nobody could use it. So they cleaned it up at a great expense and dispersed all these people to the wind. And again, as you know, with the Housing First model, there was really nowhere for all of them to go, if any of them. And so now the county and city of Santa Cruz are allowing camping on the beach around the clock. Uh, basically, just move your tent for the uh, seaweed rake that runs along the beach. You know, they, they groom the sand every once in a while. They did that in San Diego. It makes it nice and looks good because you can't believe how much seaweed comes a, ashore during the tide changes. Anyway, among other things, <laughs> bales of marijuana, cocaine. I mean, it's pretty amazing down there in San Diego what we would get calls for in the morning when the sun came up. Anyway, uh, the ones that would report it. So anyway, they're in Santa Cruz. They're letting, uh, allowing the homeless, the transients, to camp on the beach, which I'm thinking, uh, you know, I don't know if you've ever rented one of those rentals down there for a weekend, 12, 15, two grand, depending on how how big it is and how, you know, how close you can stick your toes into the sand. You don't have to run across a freeway or something, but it uh, it's kind of interesting that they've had to acquiesce uh, the, the beach to the homeless. And I was watching a newscast, and it was um, getting mixed reviews because, again, the people there are very, very progressive. They want to be, you know, leaning into the wind, uh, showing the compassion, showing the love. But tourism is a big deal to Santa Cruz. You know, we uh, we promote, I think, Santa Cruz Beach and, Board, Beach and Boardwalk here on different stations, giveaway passes and things like that. And some of the people that were interviewed were like, you know, I don't... <laughs> One lady had been harassed by uh, some tent goer, and I know the police are, are monitoring it as best they can. And they say that they're not allowing any illegal activity, blah, 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 because it's legal to bring a be- uh, tent to the beach and, you know, kind of set it up and have a place to get out of the sun, let the kids rest, and kind of a home base. But usually you pack it up and go home. And so now we see where tourist areas are being allowed to be occupied because there is no other solution. And I'm not bringing this up to be critical necessarily, but more so to point out how bad this problem is getting and out of control it is here in the state of California. There's a couple of bills in the Senate Assembly, I'm not really sure, SB, AB, AB, SB, it... uh, Does it matter? Once the governor signs it and becomes law, which some interesting laws were passed this week, especially the posse commutatis law, don't have to help a cop now. I mean, where are we headed? But the rent control, which I'm surprised the realtors aren't marching up there in uh, Sacramento with torches at the tar pots boiling because they want to really clamp down on what people can charge for rents in the state of California under the guise of uh, 
providing more housing or people being able to stay in their existing housing without fear of being priced out, not really taking into account the property owner. And again, private property rights have been under assault in California for quite some time. And this is just another salvo against those rights. And again, where's the Board of Realtors? Where's the Board of Realtors? But, you know, again, they have to they support a lot of good uh, good uh, polit- politicians that, in the end, I don't really believe have their best interests in heart all the time. Their best interests in heart all the time. I, I really think that sometimes you align with folks to get something, but what's really important, and I think private property rights should be up there at the top of the list when we make those decisions on who to support. Because here's an example where landowners... Uh, landlords won't be able to raise their rents to cover their costs past a certain amount per year based on consumer price index, which is even capped at 4%. So if the CPI goes over 4%, you, you can't recoup anything above that, which is, I mean, why, why tie it to the CPI if you're not going to allow people to recoup it? And what this has done in other communities is caused slum and slums and blight, disrepair, because the cost of maintenance can't keep up compared to the rent you're bringing in, which is income. So your expenses exceed your income. And I think for the governor and the assembly and the Senate to dictate to landowners what they can raise or what rent they can charge and how much they can raise that and when and how often is wrong. It's absolutely wrong. It looks like this is on the way to the governor's. And the only thing that's kind of good about this is it doesn't affect single-family homes, which, as you know, here in uh, Merced, at least, the students are occupying a lot of them. And uh, it won't. this legislation won't affect that. So if you have a house, you want to rent a room, and you want to raise the rent, that, that's one thing, especially if it's your kid. <laughs> Still got a millennial at home at at 28. But uh, I I just think the, you know, the apartments, the condos, whatever, the uh, multiple family dwellings, whatever this applies to, it's still uh, an affront, an assault on private property rights. And again, I don't think it's going to solve the problem until you create more inventory. Now, here in Merced, we're building like crazy. The nail guns are bang, bang, banging. The concrete's curing every day. Because there is that investment potential because of the UC Merced students, but there's still the need for quote-unquote affordable housing. And when we look at the housing first model uh, for our homeless population, well, of course that has to be affordable. So uh, affordable housing can take on a lot of different meanings. I know that uh, there was some, I got a call from somebody that had seen the presentation to the county up in Livingston or excuse me, presentation to the city of Livingston by the county, uh, the continuum of care, as you know, we're into the 15th or 16th year of the 10-year plan to eliminate homelessness in Merced County. Uh, we're still still working on that. So now we're going to the distributed model of care, which basically every community, one of the uh, beauties, we have six incorporated cities to spread people out among so we're going to put uh, the homeless in their city of origin, leave them in their city of origin, however you want to look at it, bring the services to them, bring them to the services back and forth with the uh, continuum of care money, going to uh, have a navigation center here in Merced at the old juvenile hall facility, I believe, $5 million to renovate, $10 million a year to operate, 24-7 wraparound services, kennels, Awnings to sleep under, bunk beds, you name it, we got it, a full kitchen. Make you a Sammy if you come in, you're a little hungry. A low barrier, low barrier. In other words, there's no, you don't have to be sober, you don't have to be clean. Bring the dogs, come on in. We have room to store everything, which again, the courts have told us we can't really have any impediments until we have these type of services. 
So the rub is we're going to, uh, because we can't have everybody over there at the juvenile hall facility here in Merced, the city of Merced, they're going to uh, leave folks or have uh, rooms, beds, facilities for people in these different communities. So Livingston was given the, uh, the presentation this last week. And somebody had seen it that uh, was from the city of Atwater. And they're like, hey, <laughs> I don't remember this presentation in Atwater. And it wasn't probably as detailed as, uh, as the one in Merced was the best one to watch. I don't really know what meeting that was. It was a few uh, meetings ago now. But Stephanie Dietz, the uh, assistant city manager, very capable in her job, gave a presentation along with the new director from the Continuum of Despair, excuse me, Continuum of Care project. County, as you know, is the lead agency. Somebody They have to write the check to somebody. For many years, it was the United Way, you know, the hand with the rainbow, and they color it in every year, how many millions they can raise. Well, I don't know, the administration over there, the cost, uh, yeah, they, and the county ended up taking it over for whatever reason, and there's still an administrative cost by the county, but they dole out the money, and the continuum of care is the storefront, if you will. So they've been going around explaining to people. So Atwater, this guy's like, hey, what are, you know, they're going to buy this trailer park right here. Yeah, that's right. Well, you know, that's not, uh, you know, it's in a real bad area of town. I, well, yeah, but they got to start somewhere. And it doesn't matter if it's a good area or a bad area because the other portion of that, 39 people scheduled to go to Atwater, by the way. The daily count, uh, or the count, rather, when they did the count was about 16, but I guess the... Uh, I forget what they call it. It's kind of like the midday count or something goes up a little bit. And if you've been to Atwater, <laughs> I wonder if 39's enough. Hey, you might need about 60 beds over there pretty soon. But anyway, the plan is to buy this this uh, Crystal Haven or whatever it's called, trailer park, and then uh, two or three homes, you know, interspersed in the city, kind of the bunk bed situation, what you see at the navigation center. Right now, it's a single level of bed. Stephanie gave the, Mrs. D- Ms. Dietz gave the uh, presentation, and uh, she said, hey, we can we can double the size by by making them bunk beds. And so, you know, why, hey, go three high. I don't know. How many high can you go with bunk beds? Maybe it gets a little unsafe. I know kids, man, they'd like to go about 10 high. Kids love bunk beds. People, uh, homeless guys, you know, I don't know. I don't know if it's going to work, but we're going to try it. Anyway, this individual was very concerned about you know, these folks being, uh, you know, how are they going to get back and forth? Well, the, count, the uh, continuum of care is going to have a shuttle, have a, uh, a vehicle. Again, bring the services to them because they figure that keeping them in the communities that they come from, that they're used to, that they associate with is going to be better to reassimilate them, reintegrate uh, them back into those communities with jobs and housing and those type of things. So... Uh, we'll see how that goes, but this rent control that's coming down the pipeline is uh, one of those, I don't know, it's it's a kind of a knee-jerk reaction, I think, to a, a market-driven problem, supply and demand. It's that simple. We see a tremendous, again, number of houses going here because of the income potential and the students. It's only going to get bigger, folks. The university spent a billion dollars out there, and they can't house all the all the students in the dorms they have, I guess they're up to, uh, what's freshman and sophomore, junior, senior. So they got the first two years covered, but third, fourth, graduate students, that type of thing, faculty. I mean, there's a lot of need. I understand the vacancy rate, 1% here in town. You look in the paper, there's nothing. But there was an ad for bud tenders at the new uh, marijuana dispensary that's going to open up. There's four or five now. That was kind of interesting. There was a protest lodged by Hive Alive, High Life, I don't know what it's called. They uh, they were a little disappointed they didn't get a permit. There were five permits issued, so we'll talk a little bit about that. But, uh, you know, you just can't find a place to rent here in Merced. Very, very hard. The homeless situation, not really good either. A lot of issues still going on with that. Applegate Park, there was a gentleman that stood up at the public comment portion of the city council meeting on Tuesday, September 3rd, who lives across from the park. He's spoken before. 
a very professional gentleman. I guess he lives next door to a UC professor or somebody that works at the UC because they borrowed the neighbor's uh, ladder, the UC neighbor's ladder, to break into this gentleman's home. And he was pretty upset, had the slideshow presentation. I do have to criticize whoever's running the computer in there, the video equipment. You know, we'd like to see the slideshow. We did see some, but there was a few there. You were a little late on the button uh, to transfer it over. They have the split screen, the quad screen. They can do a lot of different things there. And I know they're uh, they're trying the best they can, but it's really kind of interesting to watch the uh, any kind of presentation they have on the overhead projector. Because as you know, the people have to stand in the middle of the floor, this little fourth grade woodshop project, this little uh, plywood podium they cobbled together or found. I don't know, maybe they found it on, on uh, cleanup day. Anyway, you can't stand next to the Overhead projector, the uh, scanner, whatever you want to call it, the computer, run your slides. So you're dependent on city staff. But the video would be nice to see what's going on because a lot of people watch at home. I think there's probably uh, three times the people that watch at home that are actually in the audience because they can be kind of long meetings. Anyway, this guy had a bunch of pictures, slides, whatever. They were taken actually that day of the tents. And the trash and the, the crap these people bring in, literally, to Applegate Park. And, uh, you know, I know these stories are kind of long-winded with me, but I got 53 minutes to kill. So here in Santa Cruz, they're letting people camp on the beach. And here in Merced, we've let people camp in Applegate Park for a long time. Now, to me... We have just as much to offer for tourism as Santa Cruz. In actuality, I think just as much. Seven million visitors a year go to Yosemite, the most deadliest park in the national park chain, as evidenced this week by the 29-year-old woman from Southern California that fell off the cables, actually from Arizona, right there on the border, Lake Havasu. If you've ever been up those cables... It's a 14-mile round-trip hike. It's not for the faint of heart. But tourism, tourism. People come from all over to go to Yosemite. Agritourism. I have an article here I want to read about a, a guy that was just working, and he started his own uh, fishing business, Ryan Cook. There's one thing I love more than catching bass is teaching others how to catch them, says Ryan Cook with an easy smile. He has made it his life's work to do just that. The guy was uh, driving a forklift for the city of Atwater Maintenance Department, and he made a way to find a made a way to make a living by fishing, his true passion. And, and I think that's just. You know, wonderful. I, to me, that's almost agritourism, especially fishing up there on Lake McClure and Don Pedro, like he does with his business. And so, not to promote that is is a real shame, especially when we have a California Welcome Center. But you want to have a good look for your town. You don't need people camping out along the right of ways, of freeways, of railroad tracks. We don't have any beaches. I mean, maybe eventually they'll. They'll go out there to Lake Yosemite, but I think not. I think the law enforcement still, I know especially the sheriff has this quality of life unit, will try to keep these, uh, these places a little policed where, the, where this activity won't happen. Courthouse Park has had its trouble on and off. I know there was a beautiful event there a couple of weeks ago, and it was very nice. But again, it's the willpower of the leadership of the community uh, to make it so. And so this, this, this gentleman talked about the issues he had over in Applegate Park. Let me just play that real quick so you can hear what he said. And we'll rejoin him after his comments. 
Mayor Murphy. So, um, good evening, City Council. I'm here mainly to uh, give you give a couple of day, uh, updates. It's been uh, it's been a couple months since I've been up here. I've met with several stakeholders regarding the homeless issue at Applegate Park, and actually now I've actually talked to several other communities and uh, stakeholders at different community parks. Um, so, if you've driven through Applegate Park recently. It has improved a lot. Let's hold off on that one. Uh, we still have a lot of work to do. We do have a lot of work to do, but it's improved significantly. Significantly, uh, we I, I have a couple concerns, uh, specifically for Applegate Park. Uh, one of the things we've been trying to do, and, and uh, everybody that I met with seems to agree that we need to change the hours. Um, I know that's in fruition, so I hope that we move along with that. I do want to bring a, a, can we start off? So again, right now what's going on at Applegate, it's improved a lot, but we've actually have a group of people that are reluctant to leave. So what you're looking at is my house, and this is when I was, uh, when we were in escrow, we had a great uh, seller that was, letting us, that was letting me stay in because we had the problem. But they've gotten so blatant that they stole uh, somebody, and my neighbor saw them. She's back there. It was a homeless person. They stole that ladder from our UC Merced professor neighbor, brought it to my house, got up in the balcony, and broke that door. So we're basically essentially being stalked by them. And one of the pictures I've shown you before, they've had binoculars that are just staring at our doors. So that weekend, I was actually not home. My girlfriend wasn't home. It would have been a whole different deal if I was. But this is what we're dealing with. Constant, you know, it's improved. Yes, we've come a long way. Thank you so much. We have come a long way. However, we still have a lot to go. If we move on to the next pictures, this is what we're dealing right now. We are, at night, we have the group of people that are still there. Uh, they leave their stuff because they know nobody's gonna come around and pick it up at three in the morning. So if we keep going, they just leave their stuff. These pictures were taken after the park was closed. Uh, sometime after way past 11. And so the stuff, and they just pick up what they're just left off in the morning. So to me, that's an encampment. To me, that's an encampment where we can serve the, uh, we can cite the Miraya versus Oakland 72 hours notice because this is an encampment. The other thing that we're dealing with is tents. If we go to the next part, again, this is, oh, this pictures, these last two pictures were taken today. Two day uh, in the afternoon. So if we go to the next part, the other thing that we're dealing with is we're seeing tents. And when we call the Merced Police Department, which by the way, nothing but good things to say, I just feel that they feel they have their hands tied. So they keep telling us that they can't enforce the tent policy. I've met with um, our city attorney and, and uh, I've met with several people that they said that we can't, and then they're also telling us that they can't have tents after 9 p.m., all right? So before that, it's not considered camping, but I just came from a camping trip. I was on my tent, my tent was there next to me the whole day, right? So camping is not after nine, camping is, if I have a tent, I'm camping the whole day. That sign is actually in front of where the tents are at Applegate, and it says no camping or camping paraphernalia. So that's one thing that we're really trying to enforce because we're seeing a lot more families come to the park and it's amazing. We love seeing that. We love seeing picnics. We love seeing families uh, just enjoying the park. But when you see tents, when you see what you saw in the previous pictures, that's a deterrent for people enjoying the park. And if our first step to take back the parks is enforcing our municipal codes. Right, and also the, the time change. I think that's gonna help a lot because at 11, I fall asleep, my neighbors fall asleep. We see the headlamps, I'm out there in the park, we see them, and so that's when we call, but when the police officers get out there, say it's 11.30, all they can do is sight or they turn them off and you know, it is dangerous for an officer to walk around out there. But we have been seeing the police, the Merced Police Department go out there. I think they got these bright, 
white lights now that they can see far. So it's been great. Uh, but again, it's not all negative. It's been very positive working with some of you. I've, uh, we've come a long way, but we still have a little bit to go. And thank you. So that gentleman spoke uh, last week, last Tuesday, because of the holiday, during the public comment portion of the meeting. And there's been many people like him. Uh, he's obviously spoke before. There's been many people like him that have spoke at various meetings before this and probably in future meetings about their frustration with the homeless, people going through trash. I was coming into work the other day and it was trash day in the neighborhood that I go through uh, further down on McKee. And uh, <laughs> I noticed trash outside the cans as I'm driving down the road about every other can. And I'm like, man, the trash guy is really not hitting the, uh, the spot here. When he dumps the, the trash or it's windy, I, I couldn't figure it out. And about a block and a half away, here's this homeless person, I assume, because he had the, uh, you know, dressed pretty shabbily, pretty unkempt, pretty dirty, had the bike with the uh, baby carriage, the big, the big uh, card on the back. In all of these aluminum cans, he was going through all of the recycling co containers, I guess, ahead of the, the trash can and just throwing stuff out on the street and not picking it up or putting it back, but just taking uh, the gold. And man, he was working. He was hustling. I mean, he was going through those cans, just picking out the aluminum and it had quite the bag. It looked like one of those bags you see on the pickup trucks going out there to the metal recycler on, on Highway 140 out there in Planada. It's amazing. But I'm thinking, is that is that uh, legal? Is that right? Is that shouldn't somebody be saying something? But I guess not, because it's happening all over town on Trash Day, on every day. The amount of trash that we're actually building our own dump over there on the corner of Yosemite Avenue and Highway 59, two gateways to the university, and we're going to have a dump right on the corner where people can put their trash. Now, there's a dump further down on Highway 59. Why we couldn't have people make a right and have free tipping fees, you know, show a water bill, show how much you're, you're saving, using, I don't know, something. You know, why ask? I mean, if you got a couch, let the guy throw it away. Is that better there or in an alley or on somebody's front lawn or in a homeless camp? But anyway... I digress. So people are frustrated, as you can tell by that gentleman who lives across from a beautiful park. Man, Applegate Park, what did Serato call it? A jewel. The crown jewel of Merced. When he was talking about the new playground equipment and what they should put there. We need to hit it out of the park. Well, there's a lot of people out of the park because they're afraid to go there. And like the gentleman said, there's families now. Because of that new playground equipment, but you still have the same old problems. And he shows you the pictures. I mean, you know, for a citizen, now me, I'm a little, you know, I'm kind of fearless in some ways, probably to my own detriment. But at the, at the same time, you know, th these guys don't scare me. Now, they're very scary looking people to some folks, tourists, you know, people that haven't had to deal with homeless in their jobs, in their activities. These people can be very intimidating to approach, to interact with. And so for this guy to go over and take pictures of these camps, you can see the people, uh, I don't know if they're flipping them off or waving to him with the one finger, but it's one of those deals where uh, they're frustrated to the point where they want to bring evidence to the city, to the body that's supposed to represent them and have them do something about it. Now, the guy's very nice, nicer than I would have been. Well, you know, we've made a lot of progress, but we still have a little ways to go. A little ways? A lot of money to go, folks. And when you look at the money that they are going to put into housing first, you know, they talk about this project that they've got approved, this uh, joint project with the county over on Childs and B, which <laughs> it was kind of interesting. One of the, uh, the rubs or one of the great things coming out of that is an electric bus and all of the charging apparati and things that are necessary to charge a, an electric bus. And the reason for that is, well, you know, the clientele, public transportation, blah, 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 blah. 
You know, it's not like the existing buses don't run by Childs and B, but you're going to get an electric bus out of it. So there's lots of money, lots of incentive, lots of incentive. There's lots of money in poverty, my friends. I know that sounds like an oxymoron, but there's lots of money in poverty. Merced County is a very impoverished county. And the homeless issue and the transitional housing issue, not just for the homeless. I know I kind of rattle here, but the guy in Atwater that was concerned about the homeless uh, communities coming to their to their city very soon, sponsored by the county, ran by the continuum of care, will not only house homeless folk, but people that are about to become homeless, say they're about to lose their uh, apartment, maybe they got kicked out of some situation they're in, maybe victims of domestic violence, those type of things. They're trying to have an inventory of places, an inventory of beds, an inventory of houses where these folks can be transitioned. So it's more than just homeless. And again, the presentation by Stephanie Dietz, Assistant City Manager at the Merced City Council meeting was eye-opening, eye-opening. Now here's the other little problem with the plan is money. The money they're using now is this one-time, uh, I don't know, prop, you name the number, gruesome newsome, Governor, Governor Gavin, you know, can't, no more executions, dismantled, <laughs> dismantled the death chamber up there in San Quentin, but homeless camps? No, we can't dismantle those. That's a little too difficult. The, uh, you know, he was, he was on the cutting edge over there in San Francisco when he was mayor taking care of the homeless. Look how that's worked out. Anyway, uh, he gave money, rather, for the homeless issue, some one-time money, I think uh, five years' worth, if I'm not mistaken, maybe just a couple of years' worth. I know that this plan with the homeless center, with the uh, or the navigation center, rather, you know, the wraparound care, the $10 million, $5 million a year, whatever it's going to take to operate and build this thing, it's not funded forever and ever and ever. So it's going to be up to the local folk, the counties and the cities, whoever runs a continuum of care to procure funding in the future and where they're going to get it from, who knows. And those are some pretty big numbers. So when we start building these places and we get this this seed money from the governor, this kind of a, you know, a band-aid on a on a compound fracture, uh, it's not going to work in the long term, and we really need solutions that are going to work in the long term, and that's affordable housing. And that gets back to the issue I talked about last week with SB35. I know that was kind of a boring presentation, didn't get a lot of hits on that show, but I can tell you that that is the wave of the future, my friends. Um, all they have to do is make it work with the unions and some of the hoops, some of the benefits they get are incredible. Uh, municipalities, cities can get new civic centers, new uh, city halls, new police stations, all kinds of uh, amenities that they couldn't afford otherwise from developers who are getting subsidized for taking care of affordable housing. And the retail and commercial spaces they're able to build uh, in these facilities, in these developments, in these projects, uh, also bring a tax base, which uh, the cities love. Everybody loves taxes, sales taxes. Todd taxes, which I'm a big fan of, you know, when I say fan of taxes, don't misunderstand me, but they are collected and they are levied on the uh, transient community that has money, in other words, tourists, that come through a community. And the beauty of Todd tax is that is uh, 100% retained by the local jurisdictions, city and county, so you don't have to share it with Sacramento. But anyway, the... Uh, the taxes that are collected at the retail sector, sales tax and that sort of thing, the city gets a little cut of, and they're very uh, interested in that. So, again, that's an incentive to approve these projects. And, again, when I say approve, <laughs> rubber stamp is more like it because SB 35 takes out the CEQA process, which all of the uh, folks that, uh, you know, want to take us back into caves and, you know, live off the land love because it stops a lot of projects because of environmental air quality noise, traffic, you name it, those issues are addressed at the CEQA level. Well, that's no more with SB 35 as long as you pref uh, follow prescribed guidelines that don't have any judgment. 
And those would be, you know, if you build a wall, there's so many uh, two-by-fours per foot of wall, and everybody knows that. So where you build it, how you build it, is, or how you build it is already determined. Where you build it, you can do it anywhere because there's not going to be any more NIMBY, not any more planning commission review. Uh, it's going to be more, again, of a rubber stamp as long as developers meet these requirements uh, that are contained in SB 35, uh, you know, percentage of low income, what it serves, transit, those type of things. They can build these projects just about anywhere. And right now the Bay Area is conducive to this because... Basically, everything's union labor up there now. The cost per square foot is out of sight, approaching $1,000 per square foot for fire stations and police stations. And uh, soon, uh, we'll be that here. We're looking at about seven fifty a square foot. Of course, we don't know where we want to put our police station or fire station. I understand there's going to be a, a meeting on that coming up sometime this month. I know what it is. It's going to be September 30th, the last Monday of the month over there at the city hall up there on the second floor, the beautiful chambers. I believe, I don't think it's going to be downstairs in the Sam Pipes room. But anyway, it's going to be over there at city hall, I believe six or seven o'clock. Mike Conway, our good friend over there at city, city uh, hall, city of Merced. He's the assistant to the assistant to city man. I'm really not quite sure of his title. I know he wears many, many hats, many, many hats. But he comes out with the press releases, and I'll read that in plenty of time so people can participate. Because, again, your public safety facilities, to me, are kind of important. Kind of important. But anyway, this homeless thing, the housing, it's unbelievable what's coming down the pipeline, the money that's involved, the money that's going to be committed to this, and how it's going to be integrated into the community. And what sort of say the people have over it, if any, I think is going to be very interesting and eye-opening. And again, we see assaults on private property rights and people's ability to kind of shape the neighborhoods and where they live, where they raise their kids, where they retire, where they work. And I think that there uh, needs to be more, not less input from, from the communities. I understand the frustration. I think the enforcement of laws is really critical. I was watching uh, one of these, I think it was Dr. Drew or one of these folks. One of the shows was talking about the homeless problem in Los Angeles. 60,000 homeless in Los Angeles defecating into the L.A. River, going into the ocean, the impacts it's having to the L.A. River, to the communities and out of the marine and aquatic life, believe it or not, of untreated sewage. And we look around here, the encampments along the canals, above the bridges, along the, uh, the, the, the creek. You can't tell me the same thing's not happening here. And he was talking about the, uh, the threat of plague and disease and those type of things. We saw the hepatitis outbreaks last year in L.A. where they were scrubbing the streets with Bleach, I believe San Francisco, some other communities, Stockton is, or excuse me, Sacramento is suffering greatly. Of course, his opinion was it's not necessarily a housing problem because a lot of these folks don't want to take advantage of the services that we already have. And it's very true, and it, it bothers some people that are hell-bent on this housing first, but we have vacant beds almost every night at the D Street shelter and people choose to live under the overpass 200 yards away. Why is that? Well, Dr. Drew says it's because of two issues, mental illness and drug abuse, that we're not addressing. And I've threatened to read. I don't have time now because i got to get this into the computer. But if you go on the open government websites, pull up Merced County and see some of the highest paid county employees, it's in mental health. It's in mental health. And you look at what we're, uh, our results are not good. When you look at some of the folks we have out there, I was downtown, uh, had an early dinner at 510 Bistro. The other night I walk out and there's a guy on a bench that you could smell him, well, I don't know, 100 feet away and, or 50, <laughs> I'll, be, I'll be gentle, 50 feet away. And he was just nuts. Obviously had a mental condition. I probably not nice to say nuts. He obviously had something going on. 
he was he was rambling to himself, screaming, you know, asking you know incoherent questions of me. I just ignored him and walked on. But again, to people that I played the comment from at the city council meeting, you know, people that have jobs, they've got wives, lives, children. This is terrifying. They feel they're held hostage in their community. They feel they're held hostage in the community. And again, is it really a housing issue? Or is it more of a drug abuse, mental health? We've decriminalized uh, a lot of the drug use, what used to be a felony under the influence, 11350 H&S. Those type of things aren't enforced anymore, if at all. And in actuality are condoned by handing out needles, which I am so opposed to, here in the city of Merced under the guise of health. Well, I, I, I get it. You don't want people getting a hepatitis and some of these other diseases, but I think enabling them is wrong. So the answers are many and, and varied, and the bottom line is the money that's going to grease the skids for not only affordable housing, as I told you, there's some projects being proposed that would really curl your toes with what we're going to be calling affordable housing. One's being proposed in the city of Merced, over 400 units, the size of each unit, of each living unit, seven and a half feet wide, seven foot six wide, by a uh, little over 35 feet long. Basically a, a huge rectangle, 400 and some odd in a three-story configuration with the bottom story being, quote-unquote, uh, the services needed for the above commercial space. Again, these buildings can be built by private developers at a cheaper cost than the government, but there's constraints in the fact that union labor has to be used and the siting of these, they can't just put them you know, anywhere, anywhere, mostly in city infill situations. But the NIMBYs, the I don't want it in my neighborhood, that's all taken out because the public process, the public approval process is stifled, is, is no more uh, with these projects. And the density of the projects is a concern, especially when you put them in areas that may not be able to accommodate the density and again, provide the services that are necessary. So this distributed model is only good if you can sustain it. It's kind of like the talk of the police station. You have one central station with substations. Well, they're supported by central. So you have this central facility in the navigation centers, we're calling it, which is a, a really neat word to try to get people going in the right direction, I guess. Is the, is the reason for that word, to navigate them to the services and wrap around services to embrace, to hug. Again, the visual on the uh, vocabulary is, is necessary to get the buy-in of the community. But what's really necessary is the funds, you know, to finance these, these uh, different services. I mean, you're talking mental health, all of these services that we're funding now, and it's just how we distribute them, HSA, you know, HSA is out there at Castle, a huge presence. They've taken over a lot of buildings. So obviously uh, having people housed in Atwater isn't that far of a stretch. And again, it's more than just homeless. It's more than just the homeless folks. So again, it's been a long conversation on, on homeless. And I was just surprised to see in Santa Cruz where so many people like to spend their time looking at the beach and maybe not Santa Cruz proper. Unless you're going to the beach and boardwalk or walking down there. But all of the little beaches along there from Aptos uh, north, even further south coming in from Watsonville. To allow camping on the beach by the homeless, that's a big step. I know, I, I, uh, well, I don't know. I, I can't imagine San Diego allowing that. I know we were very uh, diligent in moving the homeless along in San Diego because of the tourist tourism and the impact it had and the business owners. But we've seemed to have lost that. It doesn't seem to be politically correct to do that anymore. And so uh, the solutions are going to be interesting to see where we head. So to the person in Atwater that was concerned, stand by. Be glad. Be glad that they're only 
buying the trailer park, the density there, what, 10, 12 trailers, 20, 30 people, don't be, be glad it's not denser. Be glad they're not putting it where the new city hall wants to be built, the new police station, where Chief Salvador wants to enter into a P3 partnership, a lease-lease buyback, because that's what's happening in the Bay Area, because it pencils. And if it pencils here in good old Merced County, believe me, it will happen. We didn't get a chance to talk about the city council meeting. I'll do that in the 8 o'clock hour. I hope you can join me because we're getting to the end of this one. And I want to let you know I'm going to have a really great guest next week on Citizen Watch, September 14th, next Saturday. You don't want to miss it. Hopefully the 6 a.m., the 8 a.m. hour. And again, folks that do miss it, you can listen online by going to 1480kyos.com, hitting the Citizen Watch banner, clicking on it, and it'll take you to all the shows. But Vern Warnke, that's right, Sheriff Vern Warnke's coming in. So many things in the news. As you know, uh, we've had a lot of conversations about the sheriff, and it's just a good time to catch up. And we had an incident in Las Banas where one of his sergeants was shot. Thank God was not killed was injured, and uh, hopefully we'll have more information on that next week. But again, Sheriff Warnke is going to come in, and I look so forward to spending a couple of hours with him. I told him to, uh, <laughs> it's going to be a long ride, but there's so much to talk about. He's always such a great guest. I can't believe how, how uh, wonderful he is as a guest. So, uh Last time we visited with him has been before all of this hemp thing went down, the posse commutatus laws that uh, were passed here recently where you don't have to help a cop. Unbelievable. The author of that bill said it put people in a moral dilemma. <laughs> what? You know, if you see a cop needing help, uh, I would hope that people would, I hope would people would help. It's like rendering first aid. It's, it's the right thing to do. If you have a moral dilemma, well, I really uh, I hope you get your morals straight. But I guess we had to make that, we had to codify that. You know, something that's been in effect for a long, long time. And I know the sheriff has his sheriff's posse. And I think people that belong to that are very proud. And I, I know I would be proud if Sheriff uh, Warren Key or any law enforcement officer asked me for their help and needed it. So... That's, that was interesting. We'll talk to him about that. We'll talk about the new jail and why. Why isn't it started? You'll, you'll, that'll curl your toes when you hear that one. Also, some of the things going on with the new hemp ordinance, getting his views and opinions. As you know, I've had mine. They always have it aligned with everybody at the county. I'm, I'm very pro-economic development. I know the sheriff has some big concerns about law enforcement, but again... We can talk about all that next week when we have Sheriff Vern Warnke on these airways on Citizen Watch. Every Saturday, my name's Casey Steed, the voice of your valley on Merced's News Talk, 107.3 FM, 1480 AM, KYOS. If you ever want to write us, KYOS, P.O. Box 551, Merced, California, 95341. We'll see you next week, folks. Bye-bye.